0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Hey, y'all. It's Jacqueline. I'm on Summer hiatus, but I didn't want to leave you high and dry, so I'm bringing you a classic Unscrewed episode. This one was recorded shortly after the election last year with the inimitable Hanna Blank who has some words for us about the power of pleasure and resistance. I felt like I could use a booster shot on this one, and I bet you can too. So, enjoy! Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman. This week, I am so thrilled, and truly, if I'm being honest, comforted, to have on the podcast one Ms. Hannah Blank who is a historian and scholar and performer and kitchen artist <laughs> who spends her time thinking, learning, writing and speaking at the crossroads of body, self and culture and I've asked her here to talk about the Role of Pleasure in Resistance. Straight up, like, we are on a resistance footing now, y'all. This podcast is officially a podcast of the resistance. And because it's about sex and pleasure, I really want to get a grounding in why that matters. I know I talked last week about feeling frivolous about, you know, my birthday or about sex. and But, but I also believe that those things aren't frivolous, especially at a time like this. So Hannah is going to help us grapple with all of that and really get us all grounded. But before that, let's say hi to her. Hannah, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure.
1: It is a pleasure. And also listeners, Hannah and I go way back. So it's also just a lovely comfort to get to talk to you.
2: Yeah, we don't get to talk enough. And so, you know, any excuse is a good excuse. And this is a wonderful one.
1: Exactly. So, as you know, before the show starts proper, we like to put our guests through their paces with a lightning round. Are you ready? Hit it. All right. What
2: has made you the happiest this week? My lover is here from Texas visiting and is sitting on the couch listening to one side of this interview.
1: Yes. Hello, lover. I know that's not the side of the conversation that your lover's listening to. But
2: (laughs) But it's making me laugh.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. What's the best sex advice you ever received?
2: I think the best single bit of sex advice that I ever received is that there are five ingredients to excellent sex. And um, they're communication, 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 a sense of humor, and lube. Yes, I've heard the just communication
1: and lube version of that, but I like
2: yours better. You have to have a sense of humor because there's that part where you're like, "Ouch, you're on my hair," yes. <laughs> you know, something something has just gone completely sideways, and you, you, if you can't laugh about it, then it, you're just you're done. That's amazing
1: advice. That's so great. What is this is gonna you're gonna have a little choice paralysis with this question? All right. What's the sexuality-related news that's made you the maddest or saddest this week?
2: That Pence hasn't come out of the closet yet, I think, <laughs> is, is the one piece of sexuality-related news that I'm I'm struggling with the most because you know that this man is—it's like this is going to be death by wide stance. <laughs> <laughs> um, up in there, because that is—I mean—he is a lovely aging sweater queen who has done his utmost to make sure that everybody knows it by being as completely oppositional as he possibly can for his entire political career. And frankly, none of us are fooled. You are a delight unto the world. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the big news. So I'm like, really? Okay, so you uh, you go to Hamilton? That's sweet. Uh-huh. And, you know, so fossey, fossey, fossey. And you're surprised when they're pissed. Yeah. Aw, that's, that's kind of cute, honey. Oh,
1: God. And, I mean, if I may just riff for a minute, the thing that's been pissing me off about the Trump tweet about how he poor Pence was harassed at Hamilton that hasn't, I think, been properly discussed is the idea that the theater should be a safe space. And I just want to say, like, safe for home, motherfucker spoken
2: like somebody whose idea of art is something that matches the couch right yes exactly this is a man who transparently has absolutely no concept of what the arts do or have ever done or what they're good for and that even you know like court jesters were allowed to make fun of the king yeah he would like execute the court gesture yeah he's
1: in another universe what is the biggest sex myth that you once believed
2: I think it was probably that fat women couldn't have their choice of sexual partners. Oh, take what you could get and be grateful for it. And that's so not true. I once believed that one, too. Pernicious, but and so untrue. And I'm very I'm delighted to say unto you all that is bullshit. So carry on. Carry on. All
1: right. Last question. Who is one of the bravest people that you can think of
2: who's working to unscrew the sexual culture? Oh wow! There are so many people that I wanna sort of plug into that right now so many people doing amazing work. I'm really, really proud of Tristan termino's work, yeah, because she has been so consistent with her message over such a long period of time, and she has brought that you know very consistent pleasure oriented responsibility oriented consent oriented. But also, like, yeah, absolutely, like, give, go for your desires and make that happen. And if your desires are, are raunchy and, and smutty and and wild, then figure that out and make that happen and do that work. I really admire that so much because she has been so consistent with bringing that to our culture at, at large.
1: Yes. Love, Tristan. And listeners, if you want to hear more from her, the most recent episode she's been on on my show is called Feminists with Rape Fantasies. You can find that in the show notes or in the back episodes, wherever you listen to the shows. We love Tristan. All right, Hannah. You dispatched the lightning round with plum. Wonderful. Do so I get extra points for that? I you do it. get extra Yay. points for that. Absolutely. So as I mentioned when I was introducing you... I've been having trouble in terms of my work, which is about changing the sexual culture and just in my personal life, figuring out when it's okay to enjoy myself right now, because, you know, the world is on fire and so many people either are already suffering or about to truly suffer. And I know in my brain that me voluntarily suffering doesn't help anyone, But also sometimes it just feels weird and inappropriate and I'm just struggling with it. So I brought you here because literally you were the person I wanted to talk to about that.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'm glad. And, you know, like we said before we actually started recording, I mean, the world's on fire. So buy marshmallows and share them with your friends. We've all been distracted this week, but there's a great role in remembering that the work that we're doing for many of us is part of this sort of long term resistance effort because it's not like the stuff that needs to be fixed is new. Right. The the urgency is new and the focus is new and the fact that we have, you know, Cheeto Jesus doing his thing is certainly new and incredibly disconcerting and it sort of feels like the fast forward button on, you know, on horribleness has been pressed, which it has. It doesn't change the fact that we've, you know, a lot of us have been doing this work for a long time to help people organize and to help, you know, lend our our voices and our shoulders to that effort. I find a really wonderful sort of reassuringness to the fact that that part hasn't changed, that you and I and many of the people that we work with who are our colleagues and folks we love are incredibly well equipped to deal with the present moment as well equipped as anybody's going to be. That's one thing that I've been taking from this. But the other thing, and this is sort of more directly about pleasure, that this whole shit show of an election outcome has done is that it has brought people together. And there's been a lot of people just sort of spontaneously reaching out and creating community and going, I don't even know how to create community, but I know that we as a collective need to be doing something, so let's start having those conversations. And bringing people together and starting to have those conversations, even when they're difficult conversations, I think there's a lot of pleasure in that, because there's a lot of pleasure in human connection. We are literally built as human beings to reach out to other people when we feel threatened. And that is our strength. Don't forget that all of these things that, you know, all especially the social horrors that are sort of being bandied about by um, folks on the right these days, they're all about isolating people. They're all about keeping people from one another. You know, like, let's put all of these people over here on a registry. Let's put all of these people over here in conversion therapy. You know, let's take them away from their context. Let's take them away from this broader American context and refuse to let them connect with people and form alliances and become friends and become lovers and become, you know, partners or, you know, next door neighbors or whatever it is. It's all about taking people away from one another and as far as i'm concerned one of the big ways that we can really resist that effort that political effort to isolate and divide Mm -hmm. is to just oh i'm i'm terribly sorry but i'm interested in getting together with people and pulling people in and you know making those connections and making those connections stronger because really you know the old phrase about an army of lovers will never lose i think it's really true
1: I hadn't really thought about that, that their strategy, that the sort of oppressive fascistic strategy is to keep us all isolated from each other.
2: And terrified of each other.
1: And terrified of each other.
2: The day after the election, I was, you know, I was really just heartsick, as so many of us were. But then I saw a picture of Mort. I really hate using his name. And I just looked at the picture and I said, you know what, old man, I am not scared of you and I could take your ass in a fight. You are so brave.
1: I mean, I could take his ass in a fight, too. But like, I don't feel like we're going to get a fight like that.
2: No, but, you know, but just being able to to look at his picture and say that made me feel better because I was just like, you know, if it was him and me in a cage match, I know who's walking out.
1: Wait, but I have a question. It's somewhat tangential. But if you're not afraid of him, why don't you say his name?
2: Because I think that he has made, this is just me being kind of woo, that he has made such a thing out of his name, like his name is on
1: everything
2: that he does, that I feel like getting people to say his name repeatedly is part of his strategy.
1: That is super valid.
2: I also refer to him as the hair that would be king. (laughs) (laughs) Which takes a little longer to say, but... (laughs) I like
1: Cheeto Jesus for sure. It gets yeah. a lot across and and it's very satisfying to say with the, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's making us laugh again, the role of pleasure and resistance, right? So, right.
1: You know, I, last week I put out a call for listeners to tell me like how they were coping. Post election, and a couple of different listeners told me that they were having more sex than ever. And one of them said specifically queer sex, and that they felt like it was really part of their resistance. And I loved hearing that so much. My response was quite the opposite. I just was like completely shut down. I feel like my libido is sort of now coming back like I'm feeling like oh I'm still in there uh, and that feels good and comforting to me but I love the idea of just being that fucking life affirming in the base of oppression
2: oh absolutely the French situation is there sort of an art movement in the 60s had a wonderful slogan which was that erotic desire undermines the basis of the established order <gasps> oh my god wait say Isn't that, that again it? say it again erotic desires undermine the basis of the established order oh say it again <laughs> erotic desires undermine the basis of the established order oh i need to like hang that i need to needle point that and hang it on a wall yeah i have always loved that ever since i first stumbled across it because it's so true i mean what we want And what we desire in that very intimate, primal sort of, you know, the things that make all your nerve endings come alive kind of way. That is not about the status quo. That's never about the status quo. I
1: love that. I love that erotic desires undermine the basis of the
2: established order. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, because... The order, especially the one that's coming in now, is about separating us from each other. Um, yeah. And yeah, and making us be compliant and docile and afraid and that the life affirmingness of experiencing your genuine erotic desire is a slap in the face of all that shit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. 155%. And I just I really feel that that has a, a huge role to play for for all of us is to just remember that no one can take that away from you I mean that's yours
1: look you and I are both queer women I imagine that a number that some queer folks are feeling scared that folks maybe in interracial couples are feeling scared or you know where there's differential status in terms of immigrants are feeling fearful for their connections and fearful for their ability to explore them
2: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of pressure right now to not show your joy. And I really urge people to resist that because refusing to show your joy or sort of agreeing with this sort of don't show your joy, that sort of grimness, fear is right next door to that. Not even next door, it's part of it because, well, what happens to me if I show my joy? If I show too much joy, then what happens to me? That's insidious. And it's really, really destructive. And so, yeah, I really, really do feel that taking pleasure in your people, taking pleasure in your friends, taking pleasure in your lover or lovers. Or even just in yourself and your own body. Yeah, just in yourself and being out in the world, being visible with it in whatever ways, feel comfortable to you. That all matters. And it all, I think, has a, both a direct and an indirect political effect. direct because in this moment that we're in, there is such pressure to not let your joy show because, you know, you don't want to be perceived as not taking things seriously, but also because I think that there are like you were, you know, you were alluding that there are a lot of people who, who are worried and and legit worried that, you know, being joyfully out in the world in the ways that you are may make you visible in ways that could create problems and that could precipitate some kind of crisis. And that is both true and it is always true. It has always been true. But one thing that I will say to that is that strength in numbers is also a real thing. And that, um, you know, it's not always possible to go out in the world and be out in the world with a large group of people that you enjoy all being happy together, but you're much less likely to have people voice actual opposition to you if there are a whole bunch of you having a good time? I was just having this conversation with someone.
1: I spent time with a couple of different groups of teenagers who are grappling with ideas of sex and gender this week uh, for my own book research. And I was just having a conversation uh, with one of the facilitators who was telling me a story about a school where the girls don't go to school dances anymore because if the girls take initiative – and go, like, into the center of the dance floor without being asked by a guy. Like, they basically get sexually assaulted. And what makes me so sad and frustrated about that is, like, if all the girls got together and said, F that, they would just all go together to the center of the dance floor. Like, they wouldn't go one at a time. It would, like, instantly turn that dynamic on its head. It's the idea that they're being pitted against each other it keeps enabling that violence. I'm not blaming those girls for it, just to be clear. But like, I think that we get so wrapped up in our fears that we don't see that strength in numbers as the power that it actually is. Want
0: flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things about you know being in the sort of the age group that I'm in and having the activist background that I have is I kind of came out into the age, AIDS crisis, and some of the first political activism that I was involved in were ACT UP demonstrations. And I was both, you know, incredibly sad and upset and furious and frustrated. And also just the joy of being with other people and doing that work was huge. And to realize that for me to, you know, go to my first act up actions and um, my first queer nation actions and to realize that I didn't just have to be upset about this all by myself. Yeah. was all by itself was enormous that this didn't have to be this sort of isolating, terrifying, you know, here I am this young queer person reading these stories in the newspaper and time magazine or whatever on this individual basis where it's just like, Oh shit, what's going to happen to me. But being able to be in a space with all of these other people who all, we all realize that the situation is completely fucked, but there's, solidarity and there's joy and there's pleasure in getting to know these people and yeah getting to know with these people and realizing that you have those connections and that really being all of you being scared of the same thing is actually really powerful and can produce a lot of of joy in that resistance
1: so you have been spending a bunch of time studying how lesbians in the Deep South in the 1960s, I think, in the civil rights era, took care of each other around healthcare. Is that
2: right? Yeah, I'm working um, my dissertation right now. I'm I'm at Emory University. I'm a visiting instructor. And I'm also um, writing my PhD there is on feminist and lesbian feminist healthcare activism in the Deep South between about 65 and 85. So, I am deliberately looking at um, how women created healthcare strategies in a really politically and socially conservative, often retrograde uh, part of the country where they encountered a lot of concerted resistance to creating women controlled alternatives to um, male dominated healthcare. What can we learn from these women? That is my question. Oh, I think one of the wonderful things that we can learn from these women, and this is—I'm doing a lot of oral history for this. Um, A lot of the women who were involved in these projects are now, you know, in their 70s. um, Some are, some are older, um, and so I'm trying to do a lot of interviewing um, while they're still around. And one of the things that has come through, and like in literally every interview that I've done, is how much joy and passion go along with organized resistance. Really, almost every woman that I have interviewed has said that since the feminist health movement kind of went into a decline, or since they left working full-time within the feminist health movement, sort of since their lives changed around that, that they have desperately missed that energy, that joy, that passion, that working together, and that they have struggled to find that again in their lives. And the thing that they say with them, you know, most reliably is, I loved this so much. And that I think is an incredibly important lesson to Even take. Even though they
1: that. must have been scared at the time and and suffering at the same time, right? Oh, absolutely. So, and I think that's a good note to all of us. There's an enormous amount of work to go around right now. There are an enormous number of ways to resist the incoming administration and everything that comes with it. And to find the part, the the method of resistance that makes you feel that joy, I think, is, is one of the pieces of advice. You know, I always give that advice to what, if people are asking me, like, How to make a difference. I always say, like, you know, we need all kinds of approaches. Do the thing that makes you feel energized because you'll be most effective at it,
2: right? But I think now more than ever, yeah. Yeah. And then it's not up to you to fix it all by tomorrow at lunch. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Although if you can, that would be lovely. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maz will talk to you, and I wake up every morning hoping that somebody is
1: already. We will throw you the world's biggest party if you do that, but it's not on you. So were these women boning each other?
2: Some of them. It's an interesting question and an interesting problem when you do work on, um, on second wave feminism or on really on any feminist resistance movement because there are two things going on, one of which is that a lot of women with a lot of different sort of orientations, a lot of different outlooks and backgrounds are coming together to do feminist work. And every time you get women coming together to do feminist work, people who oppose the work that they're doing call them dykes, because apparently that's the worst thing that you can call somebody. Um, So this is used as a way to oppose and a way to try to intimidate and oppress, to to just label all of these women as dykes. Um, And at the same time, there are a lot of lesbians that are included in this group of women who are doing this work whether they were, you know, identifying as dykes or as lesbians or as political lesbians at the time is sort of an open question get some of, some of all those things. Plus, I think some people who just sort of stumbled into this place where there's a lot of amazing energy and love and intensity and fell in love. So the answer is simultaneously yes and no, that some of these people were having a lot of hot sex within the movement and within their communities of activists. And some of these people were actually really struggling with being given this label as an epithet and also knowing that, yes, they were working alongside people who were queer and were gay identified women and having to figure out sort of, OK, so how do we make this work and how do we do our own internal work when somebody says, hey, you dykes, so that we don't react as if that's a
1: bad innocent. thing. Yeah. It makes me also think of the kissings that I used to do on campus in front of the, like, freshman tours, the tours of prospective students, Mm -hmm. you know, we we used to do kiss-ins, you know, and the idea of which both were just sort of like a fuck you to the school administration, but also to, like, scare off the students who weren't cool with it, to, like, create the community we wanted on campus, right? Like, if you come to Wesleyan and you see bunch of queer people kissing and that's not cool with you, maybe you're going to be less likely to apply. And that was a way of our sort of exerting control over who gets entry to the community, even though we didn't have real power over that, you know, the literal power to make those decisions. Pleasure as activism also has a great deal of power. I would love to see some kiss-ins in front of Mike Pence. (laughs) That would be amazing, wouldn't it? It would be. And it would be fun. And it would be fun at the same time, right? You get to mac on people and you're making a political statement like (laughs) (laughs) win-win. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. So how else are you procuring marshmallows for the giant bonfire that is our country?
2: Well, one of the things that I have spent a lot of time doing in the past week and a half, two weeks, is I've been holding open office hours for my students. And have been doing a lot of talking to students, talking to these people who are between the ages of 18 and about 22, who really it's like Obama is the only president that they oh have an awareness God. of as teenagers yeah. or as young adults. They are, have come of age and sort of come of their political awareness in an environment where they're not sure what protests are for. Or why somebody would want to go to a protest or why that's effective or what, you know, political activism really looks like. And some of them have some investment and some awareness of Black Lives Matter, which always excites me when my students come in with that, because then, you know, we've got a place to start that conversation. They were probably like too young for Occupy even. Yeah, it wasn't on their radar yet. Wow. And so I've been spending a lot of time saying, yes, absolutely, you should go to protests. Protests are great fun. You meet a lot of people, you get to know a whole bunch, you're like this whole community of folks who share your views or whose views intersect with yours, and you're making yourself visible for something that you care about. So I've been doing a lot of that and, you know, handing out resources as well, like here's pamphlets about long-acting contraception and immigration law assistance, things like that, and just sort of making those resources available on campus to. A group of students who really never had occasion to think about that stuff mm. the other way that i've been sharing marshmallows with people and doing that work is that i created a community on facebook which is called 100 phone calls hashtag 100 phone calls yes i'm in it yeah because I decided that one of the things that I can do and sort of a, a low impact on me in terms of my time and energy but sort of moderately high leverage thing that I can do is that I can pledge to make a minimum of a hundred phone calls to elected representatives over the course of the next calendar year to say Here, here's the thing. I as your constituent, I need you to go and do something about this thing because making those direct phone calls matters. you know if you flood somebody's phone mail you know their voicemail they notice they pay attention that's as you know staffers have to deal with that and the word goes up the chain so anyone who wants to join that it's hash sign 100 phone calls you can find that on uh, on facebook and i'd be happy to to add y'all
1: and we'll link to that in the show notes at jaclynfrubin.com slash unscrewed if you didn't get it on facebook
2: thank you So yeah, so I'm doing that. And I'm really encouraging folks in my local community to make those calls and to also figure out where your people are. I'm part of a group in my Jewish community. Um, Not only do I attend a a gay synagogue, it was founded by gays and lesbians about 35 years ago. But within that synagogue community, there's also a group of uh, queer Jews who are working for social justice. And we have regular Shabbos dinners and hang out and talk about strategy and and that's also really powerful and and a great source of joy.
1: Yay. And I'm surprised you haven't talked about
2: cooking and baking. Oh, uh, well, yeah, rage baking. <laughs> rage baking and st- stress baking are big for me. Also just I have, you know, this automatic outlet. You know, I go to a campus every day where there are hordes of hungry people. Hannah is a queen of the domestic arts. Thank you. And it and it's a great way to relieve stress for me i find it very soothing
1: i find just pictures of what you've baked very soothing Well, thank you
2: (laughs) and i i love to take like i've already taken in a batch of really fantastic uh lemon pound cake made made on the recipe that was you know written down by um, elvis presley's black cook wow (laughs) So this amazing, incredibly rich, dense pound cake that I, I took some into campus, I think two days after the election, and put a sign on it. And that says, this pound cake stops fascists. Yes. <laughs> so I'm all for doing that. And just, you know, letting people know, you know, that this, even though it's a little thing, like, you know, taking some baked goods into your, your workplace or your educational institution, you can connect that. Yeah.
1: I you know I think you know cuz you've been on my Facebook page I've been making ice cream regularly this year. It's been my new little hobby and even on my book deadline and in the middle of this I'm like still making ice cream because it is so comforting to me and soothing and and then I get to share it with people and you know the other thing about pleasure that I don't think we've talked about explicitly yet is we have to know what we're fighting for and not just what we're fighting against. And I think that accessing pleasure in whatever forms you know whether that's sexual or otherwise right now is a good way of reminding us what we are fighting for ultimately the fight against authoritarianism or fascism or whatever you want to call the darkest timeline we are now careening toward ultimately we're fighting for our freedom to enjoy our humanity right like to be free. And that freedom in, in part is about pleasure, right? About being alive and enjoying being alive in the world. And so one of the things that I keep reminding myself is pleasure is a beacon also, right? Yeah. It tells us this is what's worth it. All the struggle, you know, like all of the, the difficulty. Pleasure is what reminds us why we're doing this.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does. There has to be something to win, right? Exactly. The role of pleasure and the role of love really can't be discounted. I teach a bell hooks essay called Love as the Practice of Freedom. And I think that that is super, super powerful to look at your love and to look at love and freedom, the ways that they go together and the ways that, you know, certainly pleasure it interacts with love and freedom and the, and the freedom to, to love who you love and to love what you love and to love it in the ways that you love it and to express that love is hugely important. I am not a Christian, but I, there's one line that I take from the Christian half of the of the Bible, and that's from 1 John, it's uh, 418 in 1 John. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Mm. Which is not to say you can't be scared of things, but to say that that really loving what you love will push that fear out.
1: Right, insisting on your humanity, and that's why the erotic wait, say it
2: again, erotic desires undermine the basis of the established order. It all connects sometimes when I'm feeling really discouraged um uh, and certainly there have been some times in the past couple of weeks where I've just thought this is this is so huge and so and as a historian, also I'm kind of seeing a lot of these a lot of these Tetris pieces falling into place that I've been watching them fall for a while and haven't been quite sure exactly the shape of the puzzle that they were gonna lock into and that's becoming a little clearer in a really horrifying way. And that's scary. You know, That's a legit straight up scary. Being trained to see bigger systems and bigger pictures politically and socially is not always um, a source of great comfort. But I just remind myself my resistance to this at least has to come from a place of love. Yes. There is no alternative to that. So
1: Unscrewed Nation, I would love to keep hearing from you. Some of you have already shared your thoughts with me about how you're doing post-election. I would love to hear from you about what you are finding pleasure in right now. What are you able to enjoy? Where are you finding love and connection? And if you're struggling with that, I want to hear that too, because I really do believe this is the only way forward the only way for us to not only keep but build our power in the face of what's coming at us right now i know this is sort of an abstract concept because i don't know most of you but i do love you all very much and i love talking to you and and bringing these conversations to you and hearing from you you know that relationship means an enormous amount to me and gives me great pleasures and also hannah
2: i love you I love you, too. And I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much for coming on. How can people follow your work if they want to?
2: You can find me in all of the sort of usual online places. I'm Hana Blank on Twitter, Hana Blank on Facebook. I have a blog where I mostly write about bioethics, since I'm also in training as a bioethicist while I do my PhD. In Hannah history. does like literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't skydive. Yet. You can also find various of my books. You can find them at your local independent bookseller. Of course, you can also find them at at other places that I would prefer you not spend your money with. And uh, yeah. Right
1: on. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F, and on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable because Jacqueline F. was not available, but also that was fun. Um, <laughs> Although sometimes people look at it and they're like Jacqueline Fable and I'm like, no, you're not getting it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can find the show notes for this and all our past shows at JacquelineFriedman.com slash unscrewed. Please get in touch. Use the unscrewed hashtag. Tweet at me. Let me know what you're thinking about, how you're coping, where you're finding pleasure or if you're struggling you can also email me if you don't want to talk about it in public, but you want to message me, you can email me at unscrewed at Love to hear from you about everything. Future shows, your thoughts about past shows, advice questions that me and a future guest can answer. Please be in touch. We need to be with each other now more than ever. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. You can subscribe wherever fine podcasts are available, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher. When you're in iTunes, if you want to show some love, give me five stars. Give us a quick, quick review. That is how you help other folks find the show. Um, And it also makes my heart grow three sizes. This show is produced and edited by yours truly. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles. And our cover art is by Nicole DeDonna and was produced in collaboration with The Establishment, who also designed the sound cues. Until next week, y'all. I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. A lot can happen in the next 3 years, like a
0: chatbot maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.